Welcome to Storytime with Paul Doerr. This season of the podcast includes excerpts via live shows and in-studio recordings from my new book, I'm Leaving It, and other stories. Some of the stories are true and some are not. I'll let you figure it out. But they all hopefully have my trademark charm, wit, and profound wisdom. Purchase your copy of the entire book in paperback, ebook, or audiobook form at all major online booksellers. I also write a monthly newsletter that is both fun and insightful. To subscribe to the newsletter or for further information about the book, please visit pauldor.com. Today's story, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. If it's true, wherever you go, there you are, then I'm in trouble. The concept of finding a life partner has consistently eluded me. I used to regard this as my own internal dysfunction, and recently, I've made the conscious choice to let people off the hook. It's not you, it's me. The expiry date sticker on my relationships reads three years. A person I was chatting with online after 256 messages asked about this cap. When I revealed that my longest relationship was three years, she regarded this as reckless and deficient. In all caps, which is the text message equivalent of screaming, she added, I would rather you told me you were married and divorced twice instead of that your longest relationship was only three years. As an aside, she had been in two 10-year relationships in her entire life, so I guess everyone has their own individualized expiry date. Let's break this down. Three years is a reasonable amount of time. A year of the honeymoon period where we're falling in love, actively going out on adventures together, and sending text messages too embarrassing to include here. A second year of settling in, settling down. The adventure's less, the text message is functional. By the third year, the equation of perpetuating a decision that involved spending the rest of our lives together, plus reproducing miniature versions of us, equals a shutdown of emotions on my part. This shutdown was evidence of my inability to just cut and run. To be honest, not a proud fact. No, the tactics I employed included disallowing the other person to truly know who I was on the inside. If I didn't understand my core, how could someone else be expected to interact emotionally with me? The buffer zone of disconnection created a bond between myself and the other person. We both claimed the same problem. We didn't know the real me. The core. That's usually around the three-year mark. Roll credits. I was a good boyfriend in all if you're talking about practical and superficial elements, which only caused a gross imbalance. Usually, the other person in my partnerships met someone else. Maybe the someone else revealed their core quickly, 
and my partner thought, wow, that guy I'm with, Paul, sure is shut down emotionally. This new guy showed me his core right away and without me even asking. See ya, Paul. So really, both me and my partners were doubling down on the it's not me, it's you blame game. On the positive side, at least this was something that brought us together. It's been a while since my last relationship, depending on when this book is published. Perhaps between now and then, I will have met someone and currently be in that honeymoon phase. The words written here will seem alien, a relic of a past life that no longer lines up with the current tone of my text messages. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. At this time, I am 42 years old, a rough and generous calculation of a combined amount of time spent in relationships is 12 years. That means I've spent 30 years as a single person. Okay, the first 15 years or so of my life shouldn't be included, but even minus that, hashtag team single is still winning at 15 years. Here's the thing. A bunch of unpleasantries happened over the past couple of years. I almost died. Someone important to me died. Climate change, etc. I am grateful and privileged to have such supportive friends to be there for my time and need. But at the end of the day, they have to go home. There's an advantage with a partner. They know you better than anyone else. Part of a relationship is to experience life together, all the ups and downs. Most of the time I'm fine, but every once in a while I experience extreme pains of loneliness. My relationship life was at a crossroads. I needed to fix it. And what better way than to bring someone else into this mess? Things would be different this time. I dropped in and out of online dating with little success. At first, it was fun. I connected with someone through words, met them, and spent a few hours with an interesting person. Even if there was no spark, I walked away with a positive experience. Then, the dark times came. Anyone who ventured into the world of online dating has a fair share of nightmare scenarios. I'll share just one. The time I dated a ghost. I unequivocally don't believe ghosts are real, but they are everywhere. I met Lucy online, and everything moved innocently along. A red flag should have been when she stole things. Little things, like a bottle of hot sauce at a restaurant, knives and forks. Something was exciting about Lucy, and so I looked past this. The late-night phone call started, the voice on the other end saying her oppressive parents tore her room apart again. I drove across the city to pick Lucy up, hair disheveled, bruises on her arms. At other times, I'd get the call early in the morning to come to a random apartment complex, telling me she didn't want to talk about it, telling me it was nothing. The real trouble came when Lucy moved in with me. Except for roommates, I never really lived with someone. In one of my relationships, my girlfriend lived five minutes away on the other side of a park. The ideal situation. Sure, I was almost always at her place or she at mine. But I took solace in just knowing that if something went down, my apartment was a short jaunt through the park. And it was a beautiful park. Anyway, back to the ghost. We went to Lucy's house secretly to get some clothes during the day when her parents weren't home. From the foyer through the window, a car pulled into the driveway behind mine, blocked, a getaway impossible. The foyer was small, so when her mother opened the door, I got caught behind it. I did what anyone would do in this situation. 
I put my hands in the air like she was a cop busting me for breaking and entering. When she found me, a stranger, standing in her foyer with my arms up, I said, I'm a friend of Lucy's. She didn't flinch, didn't move. Only her eyes narrowed, she saw right through me. Without taking her eyes off me, she called for Lucy and climbed the stairs into the house. They yelled at each other and Lucy appeared, her mother following close behind. Her mother turned to me and said, Wait outside, I would like to speak to my daughter in private. Lucy stormed down the stairs and we left. Well, once her mother came out and moved her car, then we made our grand getaway. At the time, I wasn't myself. I almost got into fights. I've gone my entire life without getting into a fight. We were heading to a restaurant, one of those in a back alley with no sign. Frustrated, we cut through a parking lot. The attendant blocked the way as he backed in a car. He started yelling at me to wait. I yelled back at him to hurry up. He gave me the finger, and I slammed on the hood, yelling, Hey, I'm walking here. We'd also get into gloves-off screaming matches, Lucy and I. This is not my way. I'm more of a repressor. Why scream at someone when you can shove those things deep down into your gut where they cause cancer? That's how I do things. But there was something off about her. I wasn't sure what was real and what was made up in her mind. The last straw came when we met some friends of mine, another couple, for dinner. I had received a gift certificate from one of my students for a fancy restaurant. Lucy informed us that she invited a friend along. He showed up and was not nearly as confused as us. When this guy put his hand on Lucy's thigh, my friend asked him how they knew each other, and he replied, We met online. I had one of those moments, like a montage of memories in a movie, where I instantly replayed every detail of every situation with Lucy and it made sense all of a sudden. I asked them to leave, and Lucy flipped out because I was being rude, not wanting to pay for her date's bill. She yelled, But you've got a gift certificate. Once they were gone, my friends proceeded to get me throw down, morning puke, drunk. Then she disappeared. Her dating profile deleted, her social media profiles gone. I had no evidence she existed. Therefore... The obvious explanation being that she was a ghost. So, I swore off online dating, at least for the moment. I have a pretty active social life. Perhaps I could meet someone with shared interests at one of the many events I frequented. Maybe meeting a person face-to-face would be more effective than profile-pick-to-profile pick. And this did happen. At a networking event for creatives, I know, sounds terrible. I struck up a conversation with a person that looked as awkward and out of place as me. The person from the Networking for Creatives event and I started spending time together. She often talked about the jerks, her words, not mine, that she was dating and how she wished she could meet someone like me. I floated the idea that she had already met someone like me. Me. Sometimes, truthful thoughts should remain as thoughts and not become words. I suggested we go out on a date. She said, How about you ask me again tomorrow? Tomorrow, I messaged her, apologizing if I created an awkward situation. A few weeks went by, and as a way to continue our friendship, I invited her out to another event, one where people shared stories to a live audience. She was 
enthusiastic and asked if she could bring this new guy she was dating. I had put myself out there as a potential dating partner, so what a great opportunity for some awkwardness. And of course, I can't help to make comparisons. Vladimir seemed nice at the beginning. His name wasn't Vladimir, but he was Russian. I have nothing against Russians. Some of my best friends are Russian. He wore a baseball cap and a hockey jersey. His physique was similar to mine, but that was where our similarities ended. The first thing Vladimir did when he sat down was to order a giant plate of ribs. Through the entire event, he either gnawed at the ribs or whispered. Both of those things are number one and number two on my list of what not to do at a live event. As mentioned, these were oral stories and very intense. A woman talked about how, as a child growing up in Afghanistan, she was often stopped by soldiers at gunpoint on her way to school. When I glanced over at Vladimir, he's sucking the meat off a rib bone. A man told us about a civil war erupting in his country and how he saved his little brothers. His story was interrupted two times when Vladimir licked his fingers loudly, timing it right as the storyteller paused for dramatic effect. When I asked Vladimir what he thought about the stories, he shrugged and said, I guess it beats staying home and watching TV. At that point, due to his complete lack of intellectual or emotional curiosity, I grabbed two bare rib bones and stuffed them up his nostrils. Okay, I didn't, but I really wanted to. Leaving that night, I thought about what Vladimir had that I didn't. You could really drive yourself insane going down that road. I haven't seen her or Vladimir since that night. So scratch meeting someone face-to-face -face at an event. A friend a bit older than me suggested I might already know my partner in crime, which turned out to be the case for her. Through a social media platform, she reconnected with someone from 10 years ago. He asked her to go out for coffee. She said yes. Now they're together. Sounds simple. At around the same time, an ex-girlfriend got in touch with me and wanted to have coffee. This was several years after our relationship ended. We caught up on each other's lives, and I figured this was a one-off meetup until she called me a few days later. We had a long, sprawling talk, and at the end, she suggested that perhaps we should get back together. I had not even taken it into consideration, and when I asked her why she thought this was a good idea, she said, well, we're both single and getting older. We're running out of options. I didn't think this was a good foundation to build a relationship upon, and I said so. Sometimes, truthful thoughts should remain as thoughts and not become words. I had not learned my lesson. She did not appreciate my response. That ex of mine was right. I was running out of options. I shouldn't have, but I watched a movie that I knew would trigger one of my classic emotional downward spirals. It was about a man denying his sexuality, and years later, he reconnected with another man who was the only person he had ever been with in a physically affectionate way. You felt a profound loneliness emanating from his body. As human beings, we needed love, both physical and otherwise. The main character wandered through life, feeling like he was unworthy of love. Putting aside people committing heinous acts against others, who is undeserving of love? Sometimes when I see young people in their 20s, I think, take advantage of this fountain of youth 
and have all the sex you can muster. When I was that age, I kept looking for the one instead of spending time with the many, learning about how to be an adult with another person, learn what I wanted, my desires, experience a life that involved cohabitation. As I hit my 30s, the inevitable happened. Friends around me started getting married, establishing homes, having kids and moving out of the city to the suburbs and small towns. This actually made me angry. This was not us. We were the generation that rejected this migration out of the city, this replacement of our creative dreams with kids. Of course, every generation believes this. When you find yourself in your 40s, alone, mostly working from home, not affiliated with any church or community center, long past university, where do you meet new people? And, by extension, potential partners. You see, no one really prepares you for this part. Societal norms assume that we are going to grow up, get married, and have kids. What if this simply is not in the cards for you? As you progress from a kid and into college or university or starting work, there is a natural order to meeting others. You are going through something with people. For me, I met a lot of people in university that would continue to be friends until the 30-year-old cutoff point. We were all transitioning from awkward high school kids many of us from sheltered small towns, into know-it-all semi-adults. We loved, fought, got drunk, got high, broke up with people, created work, failed, all in the span of four years. And we did it by living tightly packed together in residence. We formed small armies of like-minded individuals, different from finding friends when you were a kid where the only requirement was proximity. As these university friends fell away, I found myself quite alone and wondering why I felt terrible about it. I actually enjoy going to events or shows or plays or movies by myself. During this time, I went to see a movie in the theater every week by myself. I'd go at odd times, and usually the theater had a few other lone stragglers. When the lights went down, we were all equal. That good-looking couple who walked in with linked arms didn't matter. Our collective aloneness didn't matter. Besides, when you're dealing with another person, you have to deal with someone disrupting your carefully crafted routine. For example, I am never late for anything. I like watching the previews before a movie. I went out on a date, and when arranging a time to meet, she said, there's no rush, there's like 20 minutes of previews before the movie starts. My reply was, this isn't going to work out. When you go to see a play, they very much frown upon late arrivals. Another time, I sat at the bar outside of a theater, waiting for a date. When she arrived, she was not even flustered. I mean, be flustered. Even a little bit. For show. Instead, she sat down on the stool next to me and ordered a beer. We never did get into the play, and we never went out on a date again. About a year ago, one of those moments happened that made me rethink this entire concept of unrelenting joy in my singleness. I was sitting in my apartment having a glass of wine with a date. She sat on my red couch, glass of red wine in her hand. We were about two glasses in and having a conversation about her job. On the surface, I was charming and inquisitive. Inside, I was on fire. As she liberally held the wine glass in her hand, the liquid sloshed from side to side, threatening to spill. I had to keep reminding myself not to stare. This was what being an adult was all about. 
sharing your personal space with another and trusting that they would respond. And that's when she spilled the entire glass of red wine on my couch. Sure, it was a red couch, but a different shade of red. I still have the couch, and the stain remains. A reminder. I keep the couch and the stain as a physical representation of my inability to welcome someone into my life. Perhaps I've just lived by myself too long. The place I've settled in speaks volumes of my desire to forever be alone. There simply is no room for anyone else. A loft is for someone in their late 20s, not a man in his 40s. There is no storage here, so I am constantly convincing myself that I don't need some forlorn historical relic of my past. On the surface, I tell myself it is clutter, and I don't need that sweater I haven't worn since 2007 or that record player that belonged to my parents and doesn't work anymore. Purge it. With my physical space, I've made a declaration. Another person is not welcome here. Even when I have friends over, I have a limited amount of time where I can let go of moisture-laden glasses placed on side tables and crumbs falling from plates onto the floor. After everyone leaves, I obsessively clean and sweep and vacuum. If someone lived with me, the time limit would be infinite and all my energy would be consumed by gathering each long hair in the tub or making sure the toilet is sparkling. Who wants to live with that guy? But society tells me I must find my partner in crime, my better half, my emotional confidant. Desperation set in. I'm running out of time. Being in your 40s seems to be when the divorces are happening, which I figured upped my chances. So I reinitialized my online account. I cannot speak to the unfortunate things my female friends have to put up with online. Men generally seem terrible. After messaging with a few people, I started noticing a different trend since my last time online. Messages took on more of an interrogation approach. I get it, especially from the female perspective. They want to figure out if I'm a real person. Still, it could be tedious if you are a real person. Some quick highlights of exchanges from potential online partners. Number one, her. If your girlfriend went to the bathroom with the door open, how would you react? Me. Depends on two things. First, what stage in the relationship. Second, is it a number one or number two? Highlight number two. Her. Have you ever lived with someone? Me. Sort of. Her. I've only lived with one person, my ex-husband. I would never live with another person without a cohabitation contract. Highlight number three. Her. What made you become a vegetarian? What do you think about gays and lesbians? Me. How are vegetarians and gay and lesbian people related? Her. Obvious, isn't it? Me. Delete contact. This was clearly going nowhere. I finally found someone that was a 94% match and who started her profile with this. I like roasting beets and baking pie while listening to This American Life. You should message me if you care about the state of the world and you can make me laugh. I care very deeply about the state of the world. But I latched on to these two elements, making her laugh and beets. I searched the internet for jokes about the root vegetable beet. 
Aside, there are a lot of websites dedicated solely to jokes about vegetables. So here is the original message I wrote to an actual person online. Please keep in mind that I acted before really thinking this through. One day, two beats, who are best friends, walked together down the street. They stepped off the curb, and a speeding car came around the corner and ran one of them over. The uninjured beat called 911 and helped his injured friend as best he was able. The injured beat was taken to emergency at the hospital and rushed into surgery. After a long and agonizing wait, the doctor finally appeared. He told the uninjured beat, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that your friend is going to pull through. The bad news is that he's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. What can I say? I like a good beat joke. I've never heard or told a beat joke in my life. The things we do for love. Once I hit send and saw this as a sent message and imagined being the person on the other side, receiving this on their computer or phone, I immediately deleted my account. The plan now is to work on myself, which essentially means I'm doomed to live out the rest of my days alone, eventually getting old, then older, and dying in my apartment where I've found bloated days later by neighbors I never spoke to since they moved in five years previously. As my editor says, always end on a positive note. Mission accomplished. Thank you for listening. Again, if you'd like to purchase a copy of I'm Leaving It or any of my other books, they are available at most online booksellers. The live performances were originally performed and recorded at the monthly storytelling event, Stories We Don't Tell. To learn more about Stories We Don't Tell, head over to storieswedonttell.org. For everything else, please visit paldor.com. <laughs>